0: Welcome to the improve the news podcast for saturday november 12 2022
1: where we separate the spin from the facts i'm adam clark and i'm eric steiner with today's top stories ukraine reclaims dozens of towns in herson following russia's withdrawal the crypto exchange ftx files for bankruptcy musk warns of twitter bankruptcy as executives quit arizona and nevada won't finish counting midterm ballots until next week Young voter midterm turnout was the second highest in 30 years. Boston will pay $2.1 million for refusing to fly a Christian flag. Putin will skip the G20 summit. CO2 pollution to reportedly break all records this year. COVID reinfections may increase the risk of serious disease and death.
0: And a study identifies neurons that restore walking after paralysis. In our first story today, it's the roundup in the situation in Ukraine, and it's day 261. Ukraine reclaims dozens of towns in Kherson following a Russian withdrawal. And here are the facts, as agreed upon by Pravda, Understanding War, Odessa Journal, and Vox. Ukraine has reclaimed dozens of towns and settlements in the southern Kherson region following the withdrawal of Russian troops from the west bank of the Dnipro River. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said as many as 41 towns and settlements had been recaptured, but the figure couldn't be independently confirmed. He said, quote, Today we have good news from the South. There are now dozens of Ukrainian flags flying where they rightfully belong as a result of the ongoing defense operation. 41 towns and villages have been liberated. Analysis from military think tank the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, said of the situation in Kherson, quote, Russian forces so far appear to be withdrawing in relatively good order, and Ukrainian forces are making expected gains without routing Russian forces, as they did in the Kharkiv counteroffensive. ISW added that it will take some time for a complete Russian withdrawal from the region and that it still expects to see some fighting in the area, namely around previously prepared defense lines near Kherson city. Meanwhile, Images circulated on social media showed that Russian forces appeared to have destroyed the Anatovsky Bridge, the primary route from Kherson to the east bank of the Dnipro. In the neighboring region of Mykolaiv, a Russian missile hit a residential building, killing at least six civilians according to local officials. A Russian strike also targeted the region of Vinnytsia, reportedly striking a critical infrastructure facility with no reports of civilian casualties. Two civilians were killed and five more were injured in Russian attacks on Donetsk in the last 24 hours, Ukrainian officials added. Elsewhere, Andriy Boyko, a Ukrainian in Russian's government of the Zaporizhia region, was the target of an assassination attempt in the city of Melitopol on Friday, according to exiled Ukrainian mayor of the city Ivan Fedorov. Boyko sustained minor injuries following the blast outside his house. He was subsequently taken to a hospital, but, according to Russian-appointed
1: officials, his condition is non-life-threatening. Thank you, Adam, for the facts, and during this podcast, we always extract the spins from the story. And for this one, we begin with Narrative A, and it's coming from Vox. Ukraine is demonstrating that, with continued Western military aid, it is able to drive Russian forces out of its territories. This bolsters the argument that support's needs to be maintained until a total Russian defeat is achieved. And narrative B is provided by Newsweek.
0: Retaking parts of Kherson is one thing. Recapturing the rest of the region alongside Luhansk, Donetsk and Crimea is another. Ukraine's gains should be used to leverage Kyiv's negotiation position to bring a swift end to this conflict.
1: It should not be treated as a justification to drag out the war. And we have a nerd narrative for this story. It says there is a 3% chance that Ukraine will officially recognize a former Ukrainian territory as independent before 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community.
0: In other words, they aren't going to accept Russia as the city in their country.
1: <laughs> I guess. I don't that's, know. Yeah, that's a better way to put it.
0: Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news.
1: In our next story, crypto exchange FTX files for bankruptcy. And here are the facts, as agreed upon by CNN, Guardian, Associated Press, and New York Times. Amid a rush of customer withdrawals that left the firm teetering on the edge of collapse, Cryptocurrency exchange FTX announced Friday that it's filing for bankruptcy, with founder Sam Bankman-Fried stepping down as CEO. Users began withdrawing their funds from FTX last week after an article appeared on the crypto news site Coindesk suggesting that Alameda, a hedge fund owned by Bankman-Fried, held billions of dollars worth of FTX's own currency, FTT, from clients' accounts to use as collateral and further loans. The crisis escalated last Sunday when Binance chief executive Ping Zhao said his company was selling its FTT holdings worth an estimated $500 million because of quote recent revelations that have come to light. Earlier this week, Zhao and Binance, the world's biggest crypto exchange, offered to buy FTX and rescue its depositors. However, the deal fell through once they looked at the company's books and FTX was back to square one. As Binance exited the deal, Bankman Freed reportedly asked FTX's investors to put up $8 billion to cover the shortfall in withdrawals on Wednesday, as one of the firm's investors, Sequoia Capital, on Thursday said its investment of $215 million was now valued at zero. FTX's bankruptcy, a company valued between $10 billion and $50 billion with over 100,000 creditors, is the largest in a series of crypto bankruptcies this year. It was already under investigation by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the Department of Justice, with Bankman Freed now potentially also facing a federal probe into whether FTX misused customer funds to prop up the trading firm.
0: Eric, thank you for the facts on that story. We have a couple of narrative spins here, plus a nerd narrative. Narrative A is provided by Yahoo. FTX was seen as one of the more reputable firms in the crypto world, and its founder was considered a Capitol Hill darling having donated millions to political campaigns and helped write legislation around cryptocurrencies. This shocking twist, which will have ripple effects across the crypto world, brings all of that into
1: question and renews calls for more regulation. Thanks, Adam. Narrative B comes from Business Insider. All of these problems stem from the lack of clarity provided by U.S. legislators, which has driven 95% of the crypto market offshore. They are now largely powerless to retrieve the funds, and it makes no sense to further punish U.S. crypto companies for these mistakes with a regulatory crackdown. And the nerd narrative on this
0: story, there's a 95% chance that FTX.US will default or delay for more than 120 hours on payment to at least one FTX.US user before 2023, and that's according to the Metaculous
1: prediction community. Adam, you know, that word has it that you were considered once a Capitol Hill darling. What happened to that? Well, that was when I was
0: five and doing those little uh, um, Capitol Hill pageants. Tours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then my parents realized I was a boy. Okay. <laughs> and at our next report, Musk warns of a Twitter bankruptcy as executives quit. And here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, Guardian, Bloomberg, and Daily Mail. With some advertisers leaving the platform and top executives resigning from their positions, Twitter CEO Elon Musk reportedly hinted at the possibility of the company filing for bankruptcy if it's unable to reverse its sharp decline in revenue. On Thursday, executives who departed from the company included Head of Safety and Integrity Yoel Roth, Chief Information Security Officer Leah Kisner, and Chief Privacy Operator Damian Curran, and Chief Compliance Officer Marianne Fogarty. Musk's reported warning of potential bankruptcy came during his first all-hands meeting with staff since taking the helm at Twitter, which also included a discussion of possible 80-hour work weeks, according to sources. Musk took on $13 billion in debt as part of his purchase of Twitter and faces $1.2 billion in interest over the next 12 months an amount exceeding the company's most recently disclosed cash flow of nearly $1.2 billion in June. Twitter is also facing warnings from the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, with which the company has a settlement requiring it to perform privacy reviews before making any changes to its products. In a letter reportedly posted on Twitter's privacy team's Slack channel, a lawyer allegedly encouraged employees to use whistleblower protections, quote, if you feel uncomfortable about anything you're being asked to do. This comes after Musk fired roughly half of Twitter's 7,000 employees, leaving some with concerns about the company's ability
1: to retain strong privacy and security measures for its users. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Two spins emerging, beginning with narrative A coming from Slate. With the FTC breathing down his neck, advertisers leaving in droves, and staff cuts leaving users' privacy vulnerable, Twitter faces a genuine risk of collapse. Revenue decline aside, the FTC could fine the company billions of dollars if it feels it's breached its settlement, which would virtually evaporate any prospects of Musk making it out of this dilemma unscathed. And fortune has produced
0: a narrative B for this story. Musk's Twitter purchase can be seen as a calculated business strategy or as an attempt to dominate the news cycle. Either scenario, will likely bring success to Musk and his companies, despite the seemingly feeble start. While some might say he's stretched too thin, it would be foolish to think he doesn't have some tricks up his sleeve to boost all three of his company's valuations through his new social media platform. In this last narrative, they're making out Musk to be like the next Chris Angel. Like he's going to do a Vegas act and go, boof, I make Twitter successful. <laughs> yeah. You think he you, could
1: do that in a close up magic act? I think he could. I really do. And I think he could shoot it out in space, too. If the magic trick doesn't work, just <laughs> shoot it into space and go, oh, look at that. That's like the magician's rule book, right? Distraction. Exactly. Yeah, Distraction. Exactly. The U.S. midterms in the news as Arizona and Nevada won't finish counting ballots until next week. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post. Newsweek, New York Post, and New Yorker. With around 570,000 ballots remaining to be counted in Arizona's midterm election and 50,000 left to go in Nevada, the fate of which party takes control of the Senate, as well as the Arizona governor's race, likely won't be known until next week. In the Arizona governor's race, Democrat Katie Hobbs held an extremely slim lead of 50.7% to 49.3% over Republican Kari Lake with Hobbs having grown her lead after Thursday's results were added. Most of Arizona's remaining totals come from Maricopa County, which has yet to start counting the more than 290,000 ballots dropped off on Election Day. The county's vote has already angered Republicans after about 17,000 votes were reportedly affected by machine mishaps on Election Day. In Nevada, mail-in ballots are sent to all registered voters, which is why the count takes longer than in many other states. Analysts are keeping close tabs to Washoe County the state's second largest, for its potential pivotal role in the outcome. Both parties in Arizona expect the mail-in ballots brought in person on election day to tighten the key races, with Republicans so far having done better with in-person votes due to their general distrust of the mail-in system. Thank you, Eric. Washington
0: Post has generated a Democratic narrative spin on this story. Arizona and Nevada always take longer to count due to mail-in votes, and this year is no different. Even after 17,000 ballots were affected by machine problems, they were sent into secure drop boxes and will be counted. Unscrupulous Republicans like Kari Lake are trying to instill election fraud fears in their supporters, which is an insult to poll workers who are working 14-hour shifts to count
1: hundreds of thousands of ballots. And a Republican narrative comes from Federalist. Democrats have ignored Americans' growing distrust in the electoral system so egregiously that they now preemptively announce ballot counting delays. Most developed countries, as well as large U.S. states like Florida, have figured out how to conduct elections on Election Day. It should be no different in the swing states like Arizona and Nevada.
0: And in more midterm news, young voter turnout was the second highest in 30 years. And here are the facts as provided by Al Jazeera, NPR Online News, Fulcrum, Fox News, and Forbes. As Democrats celebrate their better-than-expected performance on Tuesday's midterm elections, increased focus has been put on the effect young voters had on the outcome in several states. Researchers say the recent midterms had the second-highest turnout among voters under 30 in at least the past three decades with around 27% of voters between the ages of 18 to 29 casting a ballot. The 2018 midterms saw the highest turnout among young voters, with about 31% voting. Young voters overwhelmingly chose Democrats. 63% voted for Democratic House candidates, possibly serving as the key constituency in several key battleground elections, such as Pennsylvania. In Florida, Georgia, Michigan— North Carolina, New Hampshire, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, turnout for young voters was higher, reaching an aggregate of about 31%. Ahead of the midterms, middle-aged voters identified the economy as a top concern for them, while abortion rights, climate change, and gun policies were among some of the youth voters' top issues. The midterms bring renewed focus to claims that young voters are a decisive force in the U.S.'s electoral politics, and must be taken seriously, particularly as both Democrats and
1: Republicans prepare for the 2024 presidential election. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Two opposing narratives are emerging from it, beginning with a Democratic narrative coming from Independent. Young voters have made their voices heard by telling the political establishment that they won't stand for anti-democratic politicians, namely Republicans, who want to take away their rights and distract from real issues such as climate change and access to abortion. The future of the Democratic Party, and consequently for the country as a whole, is with young Americans who want to build a more fair and equitable nation. And of course, you can't have a Democratic narrative without a Republican one, and this one
0: is brought to us by Fox News. America's youth has become increasingly politically illiterate. Schools and universities have been peddling woke ideology for years now, distracting many young voters from key priorities. The result is young people who want policies that, quote, feel good, but are incapable of
1: making the tough choices that come with governing a nation. In our next story, Boston to pay $2.1 million for refusing to fly a Christian flag. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Times, CBS, Daily Wire, Fox News, and Boston Herald. After five years of litigation and a Supreme Court ruling, The city of Boston, Massachusetts, agreed to pay $2.1 million to Boston resident Hal Shirtleff's Christian group Camp Constitution. The city previously refused to fly the flag in City Hall, despite displaying other flags expressing various messages throughout the years. The Supreme Court decision comes after Camp Constitution first requested to fly its Christian flag, which is white with a red cross on a blue background in the upper left corner, on one of three poles at City Hall Plaza, to celebrate Constitution Day in 2017. The city's policy stated that the flagpole was open to all organizations, having approved 284 flag raisings with no denials between 2005 and 2017, before denying the Christian flag. The flag was briefly flown at City Hall on August 3rd of this year. The $2.1 million settlement covers legal fees incurred by Shirtleff and his Christian civic organization's attorneys, Liberty Council. The litigation ended after four lower courts sided with the city before the Supreme Court voted 9-0 in favor of Shirtleff. The city said it had determined the settlement, quote, to be reasonable based on the detailed billing statements provided by Liberty Council, adding that it, quote, also allows the city to avoid the costs and uncertainty associated with further litigation in this case. Since the Supreme Court decision, Boston has reportedly been working on a policy to give itself more power over which flags can be flown. Thank you, Eric.
0: Christian Post has provided us with a right narrative on this story. This was a big win for Camp Constitution and religious liberty, which for too long has been denied using the Establishment Clause. Certainly a Christian flag has as much right to be flown as the Pride Flag or any other symbol Boston has approved over the years. The hypocritical, woke agenda has been exposed. And from now on, Boston's anti religious efforts should receive more
1: scrutiny. And we have a left narrative coming from LA Times. The Constitution says the government, quote, shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. Allowing a religious flag to fly over a government building would clearly violate this. The Supreme Court's decision and this settlement set a dangerous precedent for weakening church state separation, as well as allowing, at least hypothetically, more nefarious symbols to be displayed on public property in the future. And in our next
0: story, Vladimir Putin plans to skip the G20 summit. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Washington Post, Financial Times, France 24, Bloomberg, and ABC. Russian President Vladimir Putin won't attend the G20 summit of the world's largest economies in Bali, Indonesia in person next week. Officials in Moscow and Jakarta said Thursday. It will be the first meeting of G20 leaders since the start of the Ukraine war. Russia will send Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov instead, while the Russian leader is reportedly set to participate in one of the G20 meetings virtually. In recent months, Western leaders had called on Jakarta to exclude Putin from the summit amid the Ukraine war. However, after a phone call with Putin, Indonesian president and summit host Joko Widodo stated last week that the Russian leader remained welcomed at the bloc's meeting, but would likely not attend. Widodo said the G20 summit isn't a quote, political forum, and expressed concerns that it could be overshadowed by geopolitical tensions. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, whom Jakarta also invited to the summit, recently said he won't attend if Putin were present. Other leaders who will join the meeting, which begins November 15th, include Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart, Joe Biden. Biden, who months ago called Putin a, quote, war criminal, most recently ruled out G20 talks with Putin on the Ukraine war, saying he would only be willing to discuss the release of U.S. citizens imprisoned by Russia as part of a possible prisoner swap. The G20 summit is the largest of three meetings to be held in Southeast Asia in the coming days. On Thursday, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Summit begins in Cambodia, followed by the G20 summit and the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meeting in Thailand.
1: Thank you for the facts of that story, Adam. Two spins emerging beginning with an anti-Russian narrative coming from Moscow Times. Putin's decision not to attend the G20 summit underscores his increasing isolation. Amid his unjustified war of aggression against Ukraine, likely scared to face Western leaders, Putin, who would have had nothing productive to contribute, preferred to evade this uncomfortable reality. And Global Times has provided us with a pro-Russia narrative. Washington and its allies
0: have already hijacked previous G20 meetings to claim a moral high ground over Russia and denounce it for the Ukraine war. And this summit won't be any different. Given Washington's hypocrisy and the West's lack of interest in using the G20 to discuss the world's many current problems in a cooperative spirit, Putin's decision not to attend is perfectly understandable.
1: In our next story, we have a special report about COP27 as CO2 pollution to hit an all-time high this year. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Nature, France 24, Guardian, New York Times, and DW. Fresh data released Friday at the COP27 Climate Summit show that carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels are expected to rise 1% in 2022 to reach an all-time record. According to the Global Carbon Project, this level corresponds to 37.5 billion tons, a new record. If the trend continues, humanity could pump enough CO2 into the atmosphere to warm Earth to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. The limits set in the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement in just nine years. The aviation industry is recovering and is on its way to pre-COVID levels, causing emissions from oil to rise more than 2% compared with last year. Emissions from coal, projected by some analysts to have peaked in 2014, project to have a record year in 2022. The report's findings were described by some scientists as bleak and deeply depressing and will add pressure on the COP27 to produce significant and immediate results. China's emissions are projected to decrease by approximately 0.9% this year, thanks to the rapid growth of wind and solar power. Emissions in Europe are also dropping about 0.8%, largely explained by a steep fall in Russian natural gas consumption. In the U.S., the emissions are estimated to rise by 1.5%, driven by a surge in natural gas. The largest increase in fossil fuel emissions is found in India, up nearly 6%. The report suggested that emissions from coal and gas were largely driven by the war in Ukraine, while emissions from oil were spurred by the recovering pandemic economy. Thank you, Eric. We have several spins on this story, the
0: first being a pro-establishment narrative and it's provided by Atlantic Council. Much is at stake in Sharm el-Sheikh, per UN Reports. Climate impacts are causing global suffering on a rampant scale, and the expectation is that all countries will increase their ambitions to stay below the 1.5 degrees Celsius mark. COP27 must showcase commitment to a $100 billion goal
1: and agree on a robust climate finance arrangement for the future. There is an establishment-critical narrative being provided by climate champions. We are in the middle of an interlinked climate, energy, nature, and food crisis. Despite small glimmers of progress, the world is still nowhere near the scale and pace of climate action needed to secure a net zero and resilient world by 2050. National governments must radically and rapidly strengthen their climate actions before 2030. This new report shows how behind the eight ball we are. And Forbes has provided
0: us with a narrative C. The catastrophic framing of climate change does far more harm than good, not only by impacting the mental health of our youth, but by alienating and polarizing large portions of the population and distracting from other important issues. Climate alarmism must be taken with a grain of
1: salt. And finally for this story, we have a nerd narrative. It says there's an 85% chance there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community.
0: Our next story is a recent study regarding COVID reinfections, which may increase a risk of serious disease or death. And here are the facts agreed upon by Fox News, Forbes, Washington Post, Reuters, and DW. A new study published Thursday from the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri, suggested that people who sustain multiple COVID infections increased their risk of hospitalization, serious health complications, and death, regardless of vaccination status. The research, which analyzed almost 5.8 million health records, showed that those with multiple COVID infections were at risk of several health issues up to six months following their most recent illness, with this risk increasing with each successive infection. The reporter's senior author, Dr. Zaid Al-Ali, suggested, quote, an air of invincibility, exists among those who have been vaccinated and boosted and had a previous COVID infection, as he called on people to avoid infection altogether. A complicating factor in analyzing the role of reinfections on the general population is the wide diversity in immune systems due to vaccination status, previous COVID infections, and the type of COVID variants a person has been exposed to more than 80% of Americans are estimated to have had at least one infection. Meanwhile, critics of the study suggested that the sample size mostly focused on older males, and also cited additional research that indicates that the effects of multiple infections show a quote, plateauing effect on some symptoms. Al-Ali is among the experts urging for the development of a COVID-2.0 vaccine strategy to prevent transmission and be long-lasting for years and some research into new nasal
1: vaccines is reportedly showing promising results. Adam, thank you for the facts of this story. We have a couple of narratives that have emerged, beginning with Narrative A, coming from NewsBud. It's time to fast-track COVID vaccine 2.0 already, but both Democrats and Republicans are standing in the way. With new variants, debilitating long COVID, and societal fatigue with the pandemic, a decrease in funding and lack of interest, has made the virus run laps around our response to it. We need to reinvigorate developing a superior next-generation COVID vaccine with the same zeal and support as the Trump-era Operation Warp Speed. And Narrative B is
0: provided by JAMA Network. If the goal is to prevent COVID infections, even mild ones, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. It's not uncommon for some viruses to make people sick after vaccination. Expecting a measles-like lifelong immune response from a COVID vaccine isn't realistic. It's time to revisit flawed terminology, like, quote, breakthrough infection, and, quote, long COVID, to refine our conversations. The purpose of COVID vaccines is to prevent severe illness and death.
1: The current suite does a terrific job of that. And there is a nerd narrative for this story. It says there's a 19% chance that there will be recurring virus-driven lockdowns during the period 2030 to 2050, according to the Metaculous Prediction community. In our final story, a study identifies neurons that restore walking after paralysis. And here are the facts as agreed upon by New Scientist, Science Alert, Science, and Big Think. Following a study that saw nine paralyzed patients walk again after prolonged electrical stimulation to injured regions of the spine, researchers have identified neurons that could help restore the ability to walk in people suffering from paralysis. All recipients of the treatment, which included intense physical therapy as well as targeted electrical stimulation, had experienced damage to their spinal cord resulting in severe or complete paralysis they all saw immediate improvements, which continued over the five months of treatment. Although research on this method, known as epidural electrical stimulation, has been ongoing for some time, this is the first time that scientists have pinpointed the neurons responsible for its success. Researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Lusanne, found that the spinal cords showed less activity after the therapy. While the result may seem surprising, It led the team to conclude that the restored activity was down to a subset of neurons essential for walking. Scientists also tested their theories by inducing spinal cord injuries in mice and implanting a device to deliver electrical pulses to their spines. The animal's walking ability subsequently improved. According to Li Hui Huang and Emma Azim of the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in California, Quote, the identification of a recovery-organizing cell type is a big step forward in our understanding of the mechanisms that underlie electrical stimulation rehabilitation. Eric, thank you for the facts on that amazing story. We've got a few narratives
0: surrounding it. The first spin, Narrative A, is provided by Big Think. While still in the early stages of study, the findings of this research provide groundbreaking insights into the functioning of neurons in the lumbar spine. These results are a significant
1: step forward in helping the paralyzed walk again. And Narrative B coming from nature. As groundbreaking as it is to help people walk again, it's often not the only priority for those suffering from spinal cord injuries. Quality of life can be vastly improved by the treatment of other associated problems. This research offers more broadly applicable conclusions that can help improve other functions, and those minor accomplishments shouldn't be overlooked. And Narrative C is provided by PETA.
0: This research shouldn't be celebrated, as its conclusions are based on the abuse of animals. Crushing mice's spines to intentionally paralyze them was unnecessary, especially considering that the physiological differences between species mean mice are poor surrogates for humans. Eric, you know what I'm picturing on this when we read that certain part of the story? Gosh, the poor intern or scientist who got the job of you, Tim, go break that mouse's back. I
1: know, it's horrible. Oh, but
0: why do we... Just the what do sound do? of How it you,
1: makes me oh, cringe.
0: You gotta go break that mouse's back. We oh. need it for research.
1: <laughs> I don't wanna. <laughs> no. Poor Mickey. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, November 12th,
0: 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on
1: and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.